Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Dan Kluger, and we are talking about my new cookbook called Chasing Flavor. If you enjoy Cookery by the Book, please tell a friend. I'm always looking for new people to enjoy the podcast. Now on with the show. You are the quintessential New York chef. You've worked under and alongside some of the great names in the restaurant world. Danny Meyer, John George, Tom Colicchio, and Floyd Cardos, who we lost to COVID in April. Can you talk a little bit about how all of these guys influenced your cooking style? Sure. Um, Well, I, you know, I started in the front of the house at Danny Meyer's Union Square Cafe and had really no idea that I would, uh, someday become a chef. I was really just spending my days off in the kitchen to, to learn a little about what goes on back there um, in the hope that if I become an owner someday, I should know what goes on. And uh, Mike Romano, who was the chef of Union Square Cafe at the time, ended up offering me a job. And so I started, I think it was back in 1995, as a prep cook, just peeling potatoes and frying calamari and, and uh, you know, cleaning salad greens. And it was um, an eye-opening experience to, to begin with. But you know, really taught me about the basics of food. It taught me about the basics of production of food. And it opened my eyes to some incredible Italian food. When, when Michael Romano was cooking his Italian food, it was not always, um, you know, what we think of as Italian food. It, it was from areas all over Italy, and he would hone in on something really specific. And so there was a lesson to go with it, which I really loved as a, as a young cook. So, you know, I got a little taste of, of uh, cooking, a little taste of food and, and flavorful food and great products from the farmer's market, um, all while working um, at a place that I had originally worked in the front of the house. And so I was tied to hospitality and I was tied to taking care of people. And I think that really kind of spawned the, the interest in this for me um, and specifically the interest in not just cooking, but but cooking to really make people happy and, and bring the whole experience. So that was uh, that was my time at Union Square Cafe, and, and towards the end of it, um, I was really fortunate enough to, to befriend Floyd Cardoz, who was working out of um, Union Square Cafe as he was building tabla and um, doing menu tastings, and, and his food was incredible. And, uh, you know, at that time, it was kind of like nothing else. And so, um, and Michael Romano was also a huge fan of Indian food. So they shared, um, a love for it. I think that's in part why Tabla became Tabla. Uh, I didn't grow up eating Indian food and, and I didn't grow up really with, uh, really any ethnic food other than, than going out for Chinese food, uh, you know, once, once a month with my parents. So it was really an eye opening experience and, and a great opportunity. And through that, I ended up uh, going with Floyd to open Tabla, and I worked um, actually alongside him for seven years. And again, like just every day uh, was was a learning experience, both in the, the culture behind the Indian food and, and the flavors of the Indian food. And then because this was not just your average Indian restaurant, and it was really American and, and French techniques with Indian spices, I learned so much about technique and uh, and, and building flavor. And so... I would really credit Floyd as having started my taste buds and my love for this balance of flavor. Uh, that's something we talk a lot about in the, in the book I've talked about throughout my career. And uh, after seven years there, I went off to work with Tom Colicchio in a private club in, in Midtown. He was a consulting chef, and he hired me as a chef. And so 
now going to work for him, I was able to really hone my skills on, on what I consider American food and what I consider my food today. And then uh, from there, I met Jean-Georges and decided to go work with him. Uh, and I opened a couple different projects for him, but ultimately ended up becoming the chef of ABC Kitchen, which uh, opened, I guess it was 2009, 2010, somewhere there, and was really based on uh, farm to table. Nothing could be from you know, further than 150 miles with the exception of our olive oil and our, our you know lemons and things like that. So now I was able to really, again, kind of polish and hone my skills on uh, flavor using these products and, and under his tutelage and, and, you know, within this incredible setting of a brand new restaurant. And then I opened Loring Place back in 2016. And uh, here we are today with, with Chasing Flavor. And it's a culmination of all those experiences tied into a book that I wanted to act as a way for people to become more comfortable with both flavor building techniques, whether it's charring or roasting or smoking, as well as comfortable and, and confident in terms of building a pantry that they can use with all sorts of different products to create these really flavorful meals. Okay. Before <laughs> we talk about chasing flavor, I have to tell you a funny kind of New Yorky tidbit. I remember when Chef Cardo's opened Tabla in 1998 and I could only afford to go to the bread bar downstairs. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was amazing. It was the less expensive alternative. You kind of mm-hmm. got a little bit of what was going on upstairs. And the onion rings were amazing. <laughs> 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 yes, they were. Yes, they were. Yeah, it was an incredible restaurant. Again, you know, sort of the, the right place, the right time to launch Indian-inspired concept that really could speak to lots of different people, whether it was through the bread bar, which was this home-style Indian kind of street food menu, um, or upstairs, which was... Um, you know, kind of the creme de la creme of ingredients and, and um, techniques to, to showcase these Indian spices. So the month that Loring Place opened, I had Mimi Sheridan on my podcast. And since she's a neighborhood gal, I asked her what her favorite restaurant was. And she said, Loring Place. And I was like, what? What's that? And she said, oh, it's on 8th Street. It's my favorite restaurant. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to check it out. <laughs> And so um, let me just talk about where it's located. So it's located in Greenwich Village on 8th Street, practically across the street from Electric Lady Studios. And Mm -hmm. for the longest time, 8th Street wasn't, shall I say, the most desirable street. And I feel like you made the street what it is today. How did you discover that location? I don't, I don't think I made it what it is today, but I, I was certainly able to be, uh, I guess, a big part of um, its change and what it's become today. But really, I would give the credit to my friends who own 8th Street Wine Cellar, which is right across the street from me. And they've been around, I think, uh, 14 years now. And I used to come down here a lot after work. And so for me, the, the street was you know, kind of had become home. And then probably about seven, eight years ago, uh, the Malton, uh, which is a nice hotel that opened up on the corner and, and I think really helped Stumptown Coffee. And so just through those two places and, and the wine bar, I think we started to see a, a change in the street. Um, you know, New York in general started to get a little bit cleaned up from the riffraff that was on that street before. Um, and we came in just, uh, again, you know, right time uh, before too many restaurants around the block. And I was really excited to be part of a, a neighborhood that I like and, and a block that uh, I had already seen a, a bunch of growth on and, and now be part of its continued growth. 
So I feel like the majority of your career has been centered around the Union Square Green Market. Can you Mm -hmm. share some of your shopping strategies for going to any green market? Like, do you come with a list? Do you have the route mapped out before you get there? Or do you just walk from one end to the other, which is what I do? It's it's all of the above. You know, if we're shopping for the restaurant, there's a obviously a list. What do we know we need? And if we need ten flats of tomatoes to get us through the weekend, we will probably pre-order five of them from one of our favorite farmers, and then we'll spend the rest of the time walking around finding the other five, so that we kind of distribute amongst other farmers, and we're able to you know pick up tomatoes and and taste them as we go. So that's you know in terms of restaurant, that's a big part of it. But if it's not as targeted as that, if I'm not shopping for the restaurant, I'm shopping more for menu development or for myself, then it's really more a matter of I, I like to walk through with really open mind, you know, looking for whether it's something new or something that I didn't really expect to, to pick up and cook with, but was sort of inspired at that moment. You believe that every recipe should leave us with something beyond a tasty dish. Can you talk a little bit about your takeaways? Every recipe, as you said, has something called a takeaway. And the takeaway could be that this, you know, chili sesame condiment is great on the Arctic char, but it can also be used not for a raw fish dish. You, you can raise tomatoes in it and serve it with uh, poached halibut. Or the takeaway could be something as, as simple as, you know, how we cook our Parmesan croutons. And that's something that, again, they're, they're there for a specific soup, but they can also be used on a salad. Or it could be about how we marinate something or how we roast something to get enough caramelization on it that, you know, something like a Brussels sprout is still creamy, but now it's crunchy. It's got a little bit of bitterness. It's got extra sweetness from the caramelization. So, again, the idea is that we're giving you the confidence to use these skills, whether it's the key ingredient or a full dish. So normally you write a recipe for the kitchen staff. How much tweaking did you have to do for us home cooks in this cookbook? There's certainly some where we simplified them a little bit. Maybe the restaurant recipe, um, we make an herb oil that has to hang overnight and, and is a little more time consuming and expensive. And in this case, we just chopped herbs. So the idea behind any recipe that's in there is still that dish at its best. You talk about elderflower syrup in this cookbook, which is one of your secret ingredients for salad dressings. We used a lot uh, at ABC, but I grew up every summer, every other summer going to England, and elderflower is a big thing there. And I remember um, my grandmother having this bottle of syrup and kind of fell in love with it at a very young age. And uh, at ABC, I really kind of learned the, the versatility of it and, and started using it in, in lots of different things from hot sauces to, to vinaigrettes. Okay, so I grew up in Kansas and corn was everywhere, but I only learned about a corn zipper on page 11 of your cookbook. <laughs> Where have I been? <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I fell in love with the corn zipper many years ago uh, and just found that it's, it's uh, a little bit easier and cleaner than just using a knife, but obviously a knife works really well. I need a corn zipper in my life. So let's go back to that magical day in 1995 when you were a student at Syracuse in the food service program and you were asked to show a special guest around campus. (laughs) Yeah, I um, 
I mean, really, I, I owe the credit to a gentleman named uh, Leon Jeanette. His children went there, and I think he may have even gone there. And so he had an auditorium named after his wife and a lecture series that uh, he sponsored. And he used to bring all these different people up to speak, whether it was the CEO of Macy's or Tommy Hilfiger or, uh, in this case, Danny Meyer. And he's, he and I, had uh, Leon and I, had kind of hit it off at an early stage of my time at Syracuse. And, and he said, I got Danny coming. Danny's great. I want you to show him around. And we said, it up and I attended the lunch with Danny and then uh, we took him for a walk around Syracuse uh, campus and we took him to the Carrier Dome and up in bright lights was welcome Danny Meyer and uh, I think you know we, we kind of hit it off and after that I applied to Union Square Cafe to be a summer intern. That's a crazy story. Yeah I lucked out. Totally. Well no you made it happen. You made the magic happen. You know, I think I've talked about this to other people before when I've said, you know, I lucked out or I was lucky. And they said, no, 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 you, you made it. You've, you've, you know, you've made these things happen. And I think I've made things happen and I've used my, my opportunities to make the best of them. And I've certainly not just been handed a silver spoon at the same token. I got very lucky with these things. I got lucky in meeting Danny. I got lucky in meeting Floyd. I got lucky in meeting Tom. I got very lucky in meeting Jean-Georges. And, you know, those things I, I truly believe are, are luck. I mean, I, I worked my tail off to get to those places, but if I hadn't met any of those people, you know, who, who knows where I'd be today. So uh, I do, I do think luck does have something to do with it. This cookbook teaches us some new cooking techniques. So why should we use a wire rack when roasting vegetables? So the wire rack, um, sometimes called an icing grate that goes on a a normal sheet tray, is really great for uh, roasting vegetables because, you you know, you you toss the vegetables some oil, you put it on top, and as it goes in a hot oven, the hot air of the oven is not only cooking the top of the vegetables and the sides that are exposed, but because it's on a rack, it's going underneath and cooking the bottom of them. Whereas if you just had them on a tray or on a piece of parchment, they're actually going to steam in part. So this... This makes them become, um, depending on what you're cooking and how you're cooking, it, 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 I kind of refer to it as like raisinating them. It starts to dry them out a little bit and intensifies them. And that's what I really like about it is you can take something like a, a butternut squash and roast it on there. And I just find it, it takes more moisture out and it just makes it more naturally intense. That's so smart because there's nothing worse than one side that's kind of crispy and caramelized right. and nice, and the other side is just kind of like wet and goopy a little bit. Yep, exactly. So to speak. <laughs> that's what we're trying to avoid. I made your recipe for heirloom tomato toast on page 39, and it took me back to the Union Square Cafe days. Can you mm-hmm. describe this recipe? Yeah, so it's funny that you talk about Union Square. You know, every season we had the tomato bruschetta uh, where we just took ripe tomatoes and tossed them with a little bit of uh, olive oil, salt, and, and garlic and put on toasted bread. And I thought it was great, obviously very simple. But for me, it was just a little too simple. It was always missing something. And so at one point I decided to make this heirloom toast where I bought obviously some of the, the best you know tomatoes you could find. But then took the toast, and rather than just grill it, we we actually toast it with Parmesan. So you get this crunchy layer of Parmesan on it. It makes this, like, really great layer to put the tomatoes on and lots of flavor. And then we build the tomatoes up. They're sprinkled with salt and olive oil. And what actually happens is they they leach out a little bit of the liquid. The bread has been toasted, so it's a little bit dry and can take the liquid. And so now you have this, like, Parmesan bread with soft tomatoes, and the bread is starting to soak up some of that juice. And so it just, to me, becomes an incredible flavored toast. 
Now to my segment called Last Night's Dinner, where I ask you what you had last night for dinner. Um, I made vegan ramen last night. I, I built this broth by really caramelizing, deep caramelized uh, onions and garlic and ginger, and then added in miso, which is really one of my favorite products, and, and some Korean chili paste and uh, some tomato paste and even some vegetable marmite and basically cooked all that together and then finished it with soy and vinegar and all these things. But by making this really flavorful base, by the time you got to it, you wouldn't have known that there's no pork fat in there. I mean, it was it was like still really jammy and rich, just like if it was a deep, normal ramen base. So uh, again, it's it, to me, it's always about building flavor in, in stages. Before we wrap it up, I want you to tell us about your Thanksgiving dinner kit at Loring Place. It looks delicious, and I'm going to order one for my family. Awesome. It's all of all of my favorites, um, obviously, you know, turkey, and then we take the breast, we cook that separately, the legs we uh, braise, and we make into an incredible pot pie. Um, and then we have roasted spiced acorn squash, we have roasted Brussels sprouts, mashed potatoes, cranberry chutney, uh, which has, you know, this sort of tabla Indian note to it. And then I think, oh, then stuffing. And then last but not least, a gravy that I've been making for years with apple jack brandy and apple cider. So you can have dinner on the table in probably a, a half hour with not a whole lot of work. I'll say, hey, look what I made, everyone. Exactly. <laughs> they'll, they'll say, this is delicious. <laughs> Where can we find you on the web, social media, and your restaurant here in the village? Website is dk at dankluger.com. Social media is dan underscore kluger. Loring Place NYC um, on, on social media, as well as our new restaurant opening this December called Penny Bridge LIC. Uh, and then both of them are pennybridgelic.com and loringplacenyc.com. Thanks so much, Dan, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you. Really pleasure to talk with you. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.